All right, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. Uh, what you're about to listen to is a recording of our live podcast recorded on April 15th, 2012 at the Salt Lake City Downtown Library with a wonderful um, studio audience in tow. Um, we also filmed this and the film is available for free on YouTube via the Mormon Expression channel. The Mormon Expression channel is called Mormon Express because we ran out of letters. But you can either search for Mormon Expression, search for the Mormon Express channel, or follow the links from our website um, and you can uh, get a hold of it there. Um, for To make sure that you can attend our next live recording, um, make sure to check out the events page on our Mormon Expression website where we will post all such events. Um, we plan to do at least one more recording here this summer. And then in the fall, there will be a live recording in Phoenix. So those of you um, down south can plan on joining us um, somewhere in the Phoenix area for our next live recording. Anyway, no more further ado. Let's uh, get to it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the live recording of a Mormon Expression podcast, a production of the Whitefields Educational Foundation. Um, my name is Heather Clarkson. I am the director of Mormon Expression Voices and a semi-regular panelist on Mormon Expression. Uh, before we get started, I have one announcement. The weenie roast that is scheduled for next weekend has sold out. We are at capacity. Uh, so we won't be able to accept any more reservations, but as always, we'll have future events that you guys can sign up for. Um, sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. I'd like to thank the people who are here for the, at a live event for the very first time. We hope you enjoy yourselves. And for those of you who are here at a subsequent live event that you've already been to a few, thank you for coming as well. Uh, today's discussion will be about the Mormon doctrine of the pre-existence for dummies. And as always with Mormon expression, the dummies are us. So I hope you enjoy the podcast and please help me welcome our panel. Welcome. Um, we have another wonderful panel here. Um, first of all, let me introduce, starting to my uh, right, is the lovely Zilpha. Hi, Zilpha. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. And then we have um, the pit bull of Mormon <laughs> expression, the wonderful Amy Blosh. Hi, everyone. And um, they, you know, they say, they say even in the end, the very elect will be deceived, but not all of them, because we have one of the intellectual greats of the ex-Mormon world, uh, Brian Jolly's here. <laughs> Whoa, that's way too flattering. Thank you, though. All right. So most of the people who are listening to this are not here right now. Um, we are in Greece. We're in Rome. Um, for some reason, whenever you watch church productions of the pre-existence. And in BYU, BYU productions in the 60s, you know what I'm talking about. They always, um, they always had the pre-existence and they're always set in Rome for some reason. So we, we have the columns, we have the togas, and we're here in Rome to discuss the pre-existence. So that's our, that's our topic for today. Do we need to release our... 
Yes, this is my spirit daughter, Dupree, and she is ready to take her turn on Earth. <laughs> now, now, hopefully there'll be a perfectly delightsome family for Waiting her to, for her. I, for I her to go know. down to. There, there could okay. be a shift, I have a feeling. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, like I said, the pre-existence is always in, in Rome. And, uh, and one thing that's interesting, of course, in all of um, religious dialogue is the history of ideas as they come through and come through and come through and they get influenced and picked up from one culture to the other. Um, what is fascinating about the pre-existence is it's one of the few uniquely Mormon things. And I think it's one of the greatest of the Mormon things. Um, and right now in the last 30 years or so, we've been trying to distance ourselves from everything Mormon. We've been trying to convince the world that we're just Protestants. But this idea has legs. And so many people love it, and it influences everything. And for the next hour or so, that's what we want to talk about. We do have a house mic. Um, Janae here has the house mic. Um, so if you uh, want to add your two bits in any point of our discussion, just start waving your hand madly. Alternatively, if you're really tenacious, you can just come here to the podium, and then we'll, uh, we'll work you right in. OK, so I love the preexistence. I think it's a great idea. It, it doesn't work at all, um, but it is just such a wonderful idea. And it just comes out everywhere in Mormonism. Like when a six-year-old starts playing the piano, that's the pre-existence, right? When I'm a, a fabulous, middle-aged, slightly overweight white guy who's running the church, well, that's the pre-existence, right? You can justify anything for it. If you don't give um, black people the priesthood, we can't do anything about it, it's the pre-existence, right? Um, because there's this whole machine that's feeding into everything we're doing. Uh, one of the things I think is really interesting about the whole idea of uh, pre-mortal life is if, if you take the two assumptions, one, that uh, your birth is incredibly unlikely. The odds of you being here depends completely on your parents' meeting and each of their parents' meeting and all their parents' meeting, and you think of the difficulty in any of those events happening and combining them becomes very improbable that you'd be here at all. The other thing that you've got is that God could see all this ahead of time. He knew ahead of time what our families would be like, how many of us there would be in each family. And when you combine those two ideas, you're left with this situation where there are no accidental births because God wouldn't have made a spirit for somebody who's never going to get a family. And what I think is kind of compelling about that is I worry about like uh, the, the LDS moms who think that there's another baby and they, oh gosh, there's a spirit child waiting in heaven. But there's never been a mistake in all the families prior to now. So however many children you choose to have, that's how many God was planning on you having anyway. You could just pick one and that's what God was planning on. So you're referring to the idea that our spirits look like our bodies? Well, that, but like the configuration of our families was already set it's a out predetermined ahead number. of time. Right. I don't know it would how have doctrinal that part is. Well, it, it, but it has to be because if if there was a mistake seven generations ago, that would have a cascading compounding effect. Right. Right. Well, in conference they talked about one guy left the church, then three thousand people were were out of the church. Um, it's the same sort of thing. If if you, well, maybe I was going to say something crude, but we're in public. <laughs> it's easier in my living room. Um, if you were to not procreate a baby. Um, that baby could have had other babies and there were this huge influence of people who were like SOL up in the pre-existence because they couldn't come down where they're supposed to. Yeah. 
Papua New Guinea is, is the place reserved for those folks, I guess. <laughs> oh, sad. Yeah, you had something I to say. I thought it was Madagascar. Right, what, 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 what do you do with the leftover spirit babies? I mean, that would be a tragedy. There are no leftovers. They keep coming. Well, probably if you ruin your line of, you know, Your downline? <laughs> then, um, well, then those, then God will just send, like, the worst spirits. He, he, won't, he won't send the righteous spirits to that line anymore, right? So they're just sort of leftover spirits? But they, like, so they chose not their leftover. first estate, but do not the, very well. Do the bad spirits know they're bad spirits? Like when they get to the jump-off point? Um, I would have to think they know they've been waiting around. They're at the back of the line. But, but wait, wait, wait. No, they haven't been waiting around. They've been coming down, trickling all But the John, line. by the way, told us that if we were waiting around... We were the select chosen ones saved no, for the last only generation. only if you were sent to an LDS family. But you wouldn't know that, would you? You just know you're in the green room, right? <laughs> no, because you choose your parents. She chose me. We, we chose our parents? Well, there, well, there's no doctrine that says that. What about like the That's crack babies? doctrine, schmockdrine. I heard it in sacrament reading. All right, so... So, okay, well, there was a, a comment. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, just a couple comments real quick. Now, the, uh, the active listeners would would just hate us if we didn't... Wait, when you say up. active, do you mean like they jog a lot or they go to church? <laughs> what do you mean by active? A- active, going to church oh, okay, every, okay. every Sunday, all that good stuff. But um, we're saying pre-existence and pre-existence rocks, but uh, with the church right now, we're not saying pre-existence. We're saying pre-mortal existence or pre-earth life. That's, that's so, true. We're, we're old school here. We like, sure, the, sure. we like the old-fashioned terms. But, uh, but Zilpha brought up something pretty awesome, and she said, um, our spirits, what do they look like? And do they look like our bodies? Well... Well, we, we kind of throw that off a lot. Uh, mothers think they see um, their babies before they're born and stuff, you know. And, and post-mortally, we know that's the case because we have Brigham Young talking to Joseph and he sees Joseph, you know, appears to him and stuff. So post-mortally, our spirits look like our bodies. And a lot of times we think, well, pre-mortally, same thing. Right. But there's a problem with genetics, right? So if you were an identical twin, like 10 million years ago, you're walking around, you run into a guy, you look just like me. An identical twin in the spirit world. Well, I do have, not only humans look like their spirits, but also animals. Um, The spirits of animals, this is in the Sacred Truths of the Doctrine and Covenants, volume two. The spirits of animals are in the likeness of their bodies. The spirit is eternal and does not change. The spirit of an elephant looks like an elephant. The spirit of a man looks like a man. This is true of all creatures under heaven. Therefore, the body of the creature cannot change and evolve into something different and still look like its spirit. This principle is simply stated by the Lord that there might not be any misunderstandings. So the creation, not only we talk about the families, but everything is fixed. Everything was predetermined, right? Let's, let's go and see the doctrinal basis for this. I have here my scriptures in my hand. And this is from the book of Moses. And you know why I love the book of Moses? Like we worry about the gold plates and we worry about the, the, the papyrus from the, from the, from the um, pearl great price. Book but the of book Abraham. of Moses, Joseph just sat down and wrote it. And like nobody seems to have any problem with that. And he just, he just penned this thing off. And, and it, here it is. It's right here in the scriptures. No, we don't argue about that. All right. So um, chapter 3 uh, of the book of Moses, written in 1830, verse 5. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For I, the Lord God, created all things of which I have spoken spiritually before they were naturally upon the face of the earth. So the creation is in two parts, right? And, and, and as a matter of fact, this is how um, um, 
scholarly Mormons um, resolve the Genesis problem, right? In the book of Genesis, there's two, there's two accounts of the creation. Um, and uh, biblical scholars will tell you because there's two, there's two books in the B Old Testament, the, um, the J text, the Jehovah text, and the Elohim text, and they were sort of mashed together, and it causes problems. But Mormon scholars say, no, 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 what's lost is the truth that there were two creations. There was one in which God went through and created everything in spiritual form, the grass, the plants, the elephants. The and velociraptors? The velociraptors and, and, and Amy's spiritual another daughter. Planet. And, and then another one where it happened physically. But once again, this, that means a rut was plowed of which the physicality of the entire universe just follows, right? But, but humans, they weren't created, they were born from heavenly parents. The spirits, somehow the exalted um, bodies of the heavenly parents were able to birth spiritual children, a whole bunch of them. So the spirits look just like the bodies, right? That's, That's what I So like I Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother produced a child that looked kind of like a hybrid of my parents? Well, Brigham Young made clear that spiritual reproduction was by the same means and method yeah. um, of... Yeah, but nine months gestation for one spirit? Well, we were doing the math on the way down. Um, <laughs> so there's about seven billion people on the, the, the planet today. And um, if... Some people estimate that one-tenth of everybody who's ever been here or on the planet. So let's, let's, let's round that down for, for purposes you'll see here in a minute to 66.6 .6 million um, people. Well, one-third the host of heaven was, was cast out, right? We'll get there in a minute. That, that a was 100 billion, right? So um, nine-month gestation, um, that's 900, nine, 900 billion months that, that Eve or... <laughs> that our mother in heaven would have been. Well, that's why you have lots of wives. You yeah, speed we've that got, up. we need the 12, we need the quorum yeah, of wives. Yeah, but a really big number divided by a small number is still a really it's big number. probably like she could have a quorum at a time. Like puppies, like in a litter? <laughs> they're, they're, go ahead. Well, you're considering in human time, doesn't God work on God's time? Like a Just thousand like years is like one year to him Boom. or something? Well, like I, time years. wouldn't mean anything to, to an eternal being. So wouldn't it be being? like... Nine seconds would be your gestation period. Yeah, I don't see time being a problem for. A Once again, we totally lose being. out as women. Yeah, you're eternally just <laughs> popping one. out babies. <laughs> well, uh, well, I mean, I guess I guess anything is possible, but you know, this 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 begs the question of of, of resurrection altogether. Because if you were to cut me open right now, you'd find a spleen, and you'd find a liver, and you'd find lungs, and you'd find a whole bunch of stuff of which ostensibly I have no need for at all after I'm resurrected. So what's the point of resurrection altogether? But I was taught very clearly by my mother, although she denies it now, that if, if you didn't make it to the celestial kingdom, you would be um, spiritually castrated. Nice. You wouldn't keep your dangly bit. So, so there, that was how we keep people in the celestial and terrestrial kingdom from, um, Definitely not from, from making the, the rest of eternity more bearable. Um. <laughs> All right. Well, I have, I have a question. About, so if we're stuck on the idea that we look like our spirits look, what does that mean for uh, Africans, people of African descent? If, if that's a curse, do they... Does their spirit still look the same, or how does that? Well, I, I, I think to be fair, that probably most um, people who would, who would defend the, the doctrine would say it was something more like a platonic form of a person. That you, when they say you were like a person, meaning you had um, like hands and, and nose eyes. and eyes, and, and you looked 
because you would have known your father and mother in heaven. So you would have known what they look like in their glorified physical bodies. Um, so so you, you had an appearance like them. And when people describe spiritual experiences of seeing um, um, beings, well, you know, in the, in, the, in, the, in the temple, Peter, Paul, and Mary, or Peter, Paul, and <laughs> up here, right? And they, they hadn't been born yet, but they looked, you know, they, they shook hands, so they looked... Um, we, we already discussed the, 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 the conundrum of that a few weeks ago, but they, they were there, so they look, you know... So just vaguely, like... Humanoids. Well, from the DNC, I think we would we would conclude that 129. We would conclude that they are indistinguishable in our eyes. Like if one of them appeared to you right now, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. But I guess they don't have a spleen and, and stuff like that. It's just and, and they're white. <laughs> what? <laughs> They'd be white, right? That's what um, that's what we were taught. Okay, so. Um, let's let's make sure we, we review the doctrine before we go and talk about some of these more implications. So. A long, long time ago, meaning before... Oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. So, I look a lot different now than I looked when I was four. So, what do I look... Am I a a baby in the pre-existing... Do I have to grow up and become 45 and then... Oh, you're getting born and then shrink back down or... In the Journal of Discourses, um, volume four, page 218, it says, we were first begotten as spirit babies in heaven and then born naturally on earth. But I think probably the spirit babies, before you come to earth, they become an adult, I mean, a, yeah, a spirit adult. And then that adult is in a baby and then it grows up into an adult. Kind of like a Benjamin Buttons kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> go, go on. <laughs> well, that we would maybe, we kind of have a weird cycle of birth and regression and then regression and birth. All right. It's Warner yeah. Brothers. It's, you know. I, I had a, I oh, had a cartoon book okay. called um, something about Mormonism, the, the, the essence of Mormonism or something. It was by the same guy who did the cartoon book, The Book of Mormon on Trial, which you all need to run to the Desert Industries and get a copy of. But um, he had them drinking from a fountain of youth, kind of a Ponce de Leon thing, and they all turned to about 30. But, you know, in the King Follett discourse, if you happen to die when you're two, you're stuck as a two-year-old for all eternity on thrones, ruling. Which, remember, is my theory of our, our God, that he's a nine-year-old. All right. So, so if, we, if we go back from our birth, um, we, we will find a spiritual birth to our heavenly parents. And before that, we are what was referred to as intelligences. And the intelligences seem to have two characteristics. They seem to have um, um, consciousness, um, you know, self-awareness, and they seem to have um, free will, at least to some extent, because otherwise they'd be a machine, right? They wouldn't have any. Uh, but but, but we, that's just briefly mentioned, and nobody knows what the hell it means at all. The intelligences? But, yeah, they say we are co-eternal with God in the form of intelligence. So, so we have our, our current um, estate, where we have physical beings, then the previous, the pre-mortal estate, where we are spiritual children of our Father in heaven, and then we have the, the, the foggy sort of... Spiritual matter unorganized. It's like the Cimmerillion. <laughs> Joseph Smith said, um, in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, it's recorded, uh, he said, where did the soul come from? The mind or the intelligence which man, which man possesses is co-equal with God himself. The intelligence of spirits had no beginning, neither will it have an end. So, intelligences were not created, but 
somehow they got into the spirit babies, and then they move on from there. But Br- Brigham Young taught, it was, I don't mean to bring this point up again, but Brigham Young taught it was through the normal procreative process, mm-hmm. through celestial sex. Copulation. Right. Okay, so, so that, is the, that is where we all came from. We were all the spiritual offspring of our Father in Heaven, who presumably was spiritual offspring of his Father in Heaven and, and on back to the, um, the turtles that go all the way down. <laughs> all um, the way down. So let's talk about some of the implications of this doctrine. I, the, the, the first one, Brian, um, well, you, you guys have all kind of skirted around a little bit, is race. Um, this doctrine had the most purchase in explaining race. Um, now, uh, we, we need to spend more time going into all this, but, but, but latter-day scriptures have a lot to say about race. They tell us that um, Bigfoot was Cain, who was cursed from the beginning for murdering his brother. Well, maybe not the Bigfoot part, but he was given a mark of darkness. And that the, the teaching, which is very, very clear, it's not hard to find, was that everybody who comes from African descent, who has dark skin, was descended from this line of Cain. And according to the Pearl of Great Price, the, the lineage of Cain, because the problem is the flood, right? What where, where, where happened? Um, Cain hung on the boat, and that's how he got up into Seattle. No. I thought but, it was a servant. <laughs> what? A servant the of serv- Noah. Cain was? Or a wife of wasn't some... It, wasn't well, it like a brother preserved through... Through Ham. Ham. Yeah. Right, right. But I'm talking about Cain himself, because he's cursed to wander oh, oh, the right, land. Oh, right, right. He's cursed, we, we right. We have to explain Cain, well, you, right? You could... But if he can't so, die, drown him. He's not going to kill him. He'll just get wet. Just swim. <laughs> so, so Ham, who was from the righteous line, took a, a um, dark-skinned um, woman to wife, and that lineage was cursed and was unable to hold the priesthood. And they, we know that because they're black. Um, and it says right clearly that that Egyptus, who discovered um, Thebes underneath the water, um, and who for who it was named. Um, uh, was was part of that curse, and the Pharaoh wanted the priesthood, but he couldn't have the priesthood because he was cursed. He was he was black, um, and and that was a huge thing, right? And, and it, it came down, and then you go by and by, and there's uh, there's people of African descent in America, and they can't have the priesthood. Now, there will be not only can they not have the priesthood, but they can't even go to the temple. We we brush that one over so often because we we always ignore women, right? It's never about the women, but the women weren't allowed to go, the black women weren't allowed to go in the temple. Um, they, they'll, they'll be apologists who will tell you about Abel, what's his name? Cain? Elijah Abel. Elijah Abel, Elijah yeah. Abel um, who was, who was um, one-eighth part white, one-eighth black, um, but they don't tell you about the time when he was publicly in a ceremony ripped of his priesthood when they figured it out. Um, in the conference center, they, 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 they publicly did a defrocking of his priesthood, which you probably didn't even know was a ceremony, but apparently it is. Um, so, so, so blacks were not to be part of the, and, and there are people in this room right now who could come down to this microphone and tell you about their mission experience where they were told, just sort of steer clear of the black neighborhoods. And this is post-1978. Um, so, so that doctrine of the pre-existence, or we're trying to get around to, was, was the entire justification. Um, oh my goodness, my underwear is showing. <laughs> Zilpa, Zilpa, uh, my, my, my thing's a little see-through, so she told me to not wear underwear, but I said, no, nah, I'll just let him see my underwear. 
Um, so so the, the, the pre-existence is, is, the, is the entire justification for it. Because we can, we can get away with any sort of discrimination, right? Because it is their fate from beforehand. It's interesting just to mention um, the Genesis group in the LDS church, the group of um, African-American LDS members, they believe they have some sort of doctrinal support to state that Elijah Abel is a general authority, or was a general authority, just as a side note. I had a conversation with a woman, a black Mormon woman, and she refers to him as a general authority, President Abel. Well, he was a 70. Right. But so was everybody. <laughs> you guys know this story, beginning. right? Um, after Joseph Smith died, um, the, the, um, the 12 were in charge of the 70. And the stake president was in charge of the deacons, priests, and elders. So Brigham Young ordained everybody to be a 70. Did you guys know that right? There was a time in the church where there were no deacons, teachers, priests, or elders. Everybody was a 70. So back um, to this pre-existence Well, I'm stuff. on a roll, man. No, no, that's not me. Okay. Uh, so the, the idea, I think what John was trying to say about the, the blacks and the pre-existence is that um, they... They weren't as righteous in the pre-existence, so for them to to go to a black body instead of a white body was justified somehow. That they they weren't really deserving of the priesthood because of what they did in the pre-earth life, and which goes against the Articles of Faith completely. True. Which was my initial my apostasy moment one at about 13 when I was like, wait a minute. Well, no, it was their transgression. Oh, you're talking about the skin color. Yes. If men shall be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. But but the preexistence takes care of that because they're being punished for their behavior in the (laughs) preexistence. But what about the lineage of Cain? They just happen, they get those bodies because then everybody can tell which which people shouldn't get the priesthood. You know how in like high school when they pick teams and you were like the last one picked? No, I do not know anything about that. The, the, the other kid. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's like that. There was a, there was a comment. Yeah, um, I just was wondering, is there any doctrinal basis? I know the African um, race was like the less righteous in the pre-existence. They were the fence sitters. They weren't sure to either to jump fence to the one third or not. Um, but what about the other races, the other non-white races? What about the second curse in the Americas? Were they fence sitters too? Is there any doctrinal basis for their fence sitting? Or was it totally um, based on Laman and Lemuel's wonderful whatevers? And what about other non-whites? Or, yeah. Yeah, where did the Chinese fit in? in what terms about of like that? I think yeah. we tend to ignore the others. I mean, yeah, is there, what's the doctrinal basis for that in the pre-existence? I don't think there is one. I don't recall ever reading anything specific about that. Brigham Young once said that in the celestial kingdom, the um, Asians would be the um, housekeepers, um, but uh, the, the cooks and stuff, isn't that what he said? Um, uh, so I think there was a general racism towards, um, but, but I, I know into the middle of the 19th and the middle of the 20th century, all races could be baptized and, and go through the temple except for um, those of African descent. Let, let's, t- can we go into the war? Now, oh, because, we, we mentioned the fence sitters, yeah. Right, because it doesn't make sense without the war. Okay. Okay. There was, <clears throat> there was a war in heaven, 
And what it was about, it wasn't a bloody war. It was a war of words, I suppose. There was two plans. One was proposed by Jesus, which was sanctioned by God the Father. And the other was proposed by Lucifer, later known as Satan. And Jesus proposed a plan where um, everybody would go to earth and there would be opposition. There would be pain and sorrow. Uh, all right, just so uh, I can explain for our listening, yes. uh, listeners, um, this is the book, uh, My Turn on Earth Storybook by Carolyn Pearson. And if you look inside, this is how they describe the war on heaven uh, to little kids. And it's an image of, uh, it's a cartoon of two groups of kids playing tug of war and they're pulling really hard. Are they, are they, all, are they all white? They are oh, all they're white. all white here. Okay. But they do have different colored hair. There's a redhead. Brunette. <laughs> so it's, there's some variety. Diversity. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so um, and this is based on, on Mormon scriptures in Moses chapter 4. And I, the Lord God, spake unto Moses, saying, That Satan, whom thou hast commanded in the name of mine only begotten, begotten, is the same which was from the beginning. And he came before me, saying, Behold, here I am. Send me. I will be thy son. And I will redeem all mankind, that one soul shall not be lost. And surely I will do it. Therefore, give me thine honor. But behold, my beloved son, which was my beloved and chosen from the beginning, always a favorite, said unto me, Father, thy will be done, and the glory be thine forever. Wherefore, because that Satan rebelled against me, and sought to destroy the agency of man which I, the Lord God, had given him, and also that I should give unto him mine own power by the power of mine only begotten, I caused that he should be cast down, and he became Satan, yea, even the devil, the father of all lies, to deceive and to blind men and to lead them captive at his will, even as many as would not hearken unto my voice. Okay, so... We're all hanging out in the, um, in the um, pre-existence, and some of us are very old, right? And some of us are not so old, and um, we're all doing what we do. We obviously have free will because Satan and his followers rebelled, um, but we come to a point where our progression, at least the progression of some, has been halted, that we're still this spiritual being, and our heavenly parents are obviously these resurrected physical beings. Um, so a grand council is called where the great ones sit at the table. And some of you, does anybody have in their patriarchal blessing that they were one of the great ones in the council? There's one, two. Awesome. I, mine says something about a fence <laughs> that I was sitting on. <laughs> um, um, so so the, 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 the great ones were there and then two plans are presented. And first of all, G Jesus, our, our eldest brother, the firstborn of the spirit. You, you know, I was thinking, um, <laughs> we have eternal families, right? So I have kids right now. So like, does Jesus really have this half older brother named Chuck who was born to God when he was on his planet? Like, like when we say families are forever, we think about our kids, right? So was Jesus born on another planet, or is there this other half demigod? So anyway, um, so Jesus, the firstborn, um, says, I will have this plan, and all the glory be mine. Now, you pointed something out about this. All, no, not, no, no, not mine. All the glory be thine, thine my yeah. father. Because Zilpha told me something interesting I never thought of. I can't remember it. 
the thought is we worship Jesus all the time, oh, right? Right, right. And and so like in the in the temple when 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 Satan says, I'm doing that which has been done in other worlds. So he, he already knew what had been done in other worlds. So probably Jesus did too. So him him saying, Oh yeah, I'll do that. I'll be the savior and savior and all the glory can be thine. <laughs> Because I know what's really going to happen. I'm going to get the glory. <laughs> anyway, we'll put that blasphemy aside. Yeah, that's total blasphemy. I apologize. So Satan comes, <laughs> Satan comes up with another plan, and he says, everyone will be saved, right? Um, and then the glory will be mine, Lucifer. Um, right? It's am such I, a nice name. Am I getting, am I getting the, the story wrong? Is that, is that, is that no, right? Yeah, it Lucifer. sounds about right. It's, so so we, this is what the war in heaven is, is fought over. So basically... Satan was going to force everybody to, however, live righteously or whatever, so that everybody would be able to go back to, to Heavenly Father. Jesus, there would be a lot of people lost. Now, Maybe some of us sitting in this room. But <laughs> We'll point out some of the conundrums of this in just a minute here, but there are a lot of general authorities and apologists who say this was a lie. You can't trust Satan's plan because Satan was a liar throw sort of a theological conundrum in there. Why are we studying it anyway if it's not true? But um, so, so Satan wants to deceive and wants to, to have this world go down. Now, I, I have a problem. Zilpha, Zilpha mentioned that um, when, when the, the devil's caught being naughty in the Garden of Eden by giving the fruit of knowledge of good and evil to Adam and Eve, God says, what is that that thou art doing? Or whatever he says. I, I'm, high middle English is kind of rusty. <laughs> well, well, what is that that you're doing? And Satan says, I'm doing that which has been done in other worlds. And God says, what is that? I'm giving the fruit of the knowledge of tree of good and evil to them. And then God says, well, because of that, you'll be cursed. And I'll put enmity between you and the people, and you'll fight. And Satan says, well, with that enmity, I'll buy up armies, and we'll fight. And we'll have a bloodbath of a world. So if I, was, if I was the devil, here's what I would say. If thou cursest me for doing that which has been in other worlds, I'll take those that follow me and we're going to go over there in that corner of the universe and, we and we're going to play pinochle for the next 7,000 years. And your whole plan is going to go to shit because Broken. no one can choose good nor evil unless they're enticed one way. It says that in the Book of Mormon. And we're not going to entice a single soul. We're going to sit there and we're just going to watch the whole thing spin to a whole stop. There you go, well, God. Then it would Have basically fun with be your plan. Satan's plan again, right? <laughs> <laughs> but they would tell me that, um, that I have been deceived by Satan right now. So that logic that I just used there is, of course, the trick of the devil convincing me. The intellectualism, me the, definitely. The convincing trick of the me devil. that the devil's trick was not really the devil's trick. So it's all foggy. You think too much. So if, if Satan would have got his way, we'd have had his plan. We would know God. He would be evident. We'd have to believe because he'd show up and, you know, heal the amputees and all the stuff that people say, if there's a God, why doesn't he do all this? So if Satan's plan came through, it would make sense. <laughs> Religion wouldn't be so confusing. We'd all just believe and follow along. It would be fabulous, but so, so, we so have but a choice. To your point, if Satan's plan were real, it would look something like this. We would take our children and we'd show them pictures of God right away and put them on the wall, right? And we'd say, this is the person that you should be following. This person knows everything. This is God. Whatever he says, be obedient to him. We would have songs, follow the God, follow the... <laughs> like, we, we would train them not to choose. We would train them to be perfectly obedient, that even when like things don't make sense. Yeah. That would be like Satan's plan, church. right? You, you have a Like comment. the LDS church. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, 
Um, I, I, but, you, you know, there's a lot of great um, talks and writings about Satan's plan that came out in the Cold War because they would compare it all to, to like, um, Soviet Russia. So if you, if you want to have some good reading, it's a homework assignment. Go read through, like, the Skousen and the, and the Benson and stuff from that, from that area, era because the five-year plans were definitely part of something that Satan cooked up. <laughs> I'm not saying they're, they were good economic policy, but I don't know if they're devilish. Was there another? All right. So okay, let's... so the point of the war in heaven actually is that everybody who's born chose to follow Jesus' plan, and all of um, the Satan and all of his minions chose to follow Satan, and he was cast out. All of them were cast out of heaven, and where did God send them? To earth, so that they could tempt us which they do, and we figured out there were, um, what? Well, we, I left it off at 66 billion of us, right? And then there was 33 billion, so that's since there's seven billion of us on the earth today, that's about five to one, except they're doubling up on the Mormons, right? Uh, or at so, least. Because there's only, um, however many Mormons there are, uh, Not very 14 many. <laughs> million Mormons. Um, so if, if you only put two devils on each non-Mormon, you really can put hundreds on every Mormon. <laughs> Right. No I wonder, wonder how that, uh, that interaction takes place. If you've got spiritual matter that can't be measured or touched in any way, how does the influence happen? I mean, do they, is it ESP? Do they twinkle your brain? I mean, they're not whispering to people. They're not writing letters. Well, possession, for one well, so thing. What's so that? they're just like, they take over your body and that, they'll like make you... They can. What's like, that curse in or? Harry Potter where they control you? Contagious <laughs> or something like that. What, what's the curse? Katie, Katie, what's the curse in Harry Imperial, Potter where they yeah. control you? The Imperial? Imperial, yeah. And the Imperius? What, 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 yeah. Imperial. Okay, all right, all right. It's important so, that we get this correct. Didn't the judges in Harry Potter, like, if you were under control of that curse, that was a defense, right? Like, if somebody took control of you and whispered things in your ear, that, that was a defense of innocence, right? Isn't sure. <laughs> it, you, you mean you couldn't be held responsible for what you did? Right, under because that, like the, the, temporary the, the dark, the dark, the the smoke eaters or whatever they were called, <laughs> in the, um, said that they weren't bad guys because they were under this curse, right? Well, that seems kind of right, doesn't it? Like if 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 there's if there's things that are popping into your consciousness that aren't yours, is it really free it's, will to it's say? It's not my fault. I had that beer. Right. What's not? Right. It was the spirit. Yeah. The, I mean, the bad spirit, not that spirit. The other one. All right. But panel. Well, that's the thing is. You, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, go, go ahead, ahead, Robin. Um, I'm not aware of Harry Potter because that's a satanic series. But um, <laughs> the comment I do want to make is, um, I remember being young and you know about all these minions, like, you know, tag teaming or, or being in large groups. Um, accosting us, waiting, just waiting for us to take a drink of alcohol so they could come and possess our bodies because this will be their only way of experiencing marvelous bodies. Um, and then even, and, and like what fear that is that you always have to protect yourself from possession. I never realized that that's kind of the Mormon brand of possession. And then the idea that the early leaders of the church would actually, and I've even heard stories of 
people now that believe they're casting out, you know, demons. The guy right next to you cast out a demon on his mission. <gasps> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay, yeah, so there's one of my modern stories. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And then the idea that Cain, because he had a body, is actually ruling over Satan. You know, so Satan, who's supposed to be the most powerful, isn't necessarily since, you know, he never had the experience of a body. Yes, it seems like a body is sort of a hindrance, though. Like, well, you're doing it's resurrected. it wrong. Right. I, yeah. so, so the point of being on Earth is to practice our agency. It's sort of like a, a test, Mormons call it. And the body has desires. The natural man is an enemy to God. And so the point is that our spirit form has to master the body in order to move on to the next level. It's like a video game. Um, so we, we, talked about, we talked about the demons. Um, we talked a little bit about talents. That, that, the, the, it's not only used to describe your position in life, whether you're you know, Romney-esque and you know, have butlers and that sort of stuff that you have to, you have to manage. Um, but it also has to do with the very little things. It is taught commonly in the LDS church that you are foreordained to every calling and every priesthood office and everything that you would have. So if you, if you become a bishop when you're 45, you were ordained in the pre-existence to become a bishop. And I can imagine waiting in that line. You know, there's this guy and the hands are going on, the hands are going, oh, I'm next. And then, and then they, you get baptized and then they move on. You know, you would know that you were in for, you were in for trouble. You weren't going to be in the, in the top columns. But I've, I've got a, a reference for that, by the way. This is from the, uh, the 1997 um, gospel, gospel Principles Manual. It says, we can learn more about our talents and callings when we receive our patriarchal blessings. That's, uh, it says, see Harold, Harold B. Lee, Standy uh, in Holy Places. But it references right there, your talents and callings were known ahead of time. Yeah, and, and what this does, and this leads to the next thing that I really want to talk about, which I call Mormon exceptionalism. Um, there is this cultural idea that our culture today is not transitory, but it's somehow like, this is the way things are. Like, we scrapbook and toll paint because that's what you do. You know, you, you shave, you wear a tie, because that's, you know, I've been told several times that the, the white shirt and you know, Brooks Brothers suit is like the, the uniform of the priesthood, right? That, that there's this sort of implication that, that we're doing things this way because this is the way they're supposed to be done. But, you know, American exceptionalism is the idea this is a, a, a special place that we're different than the rest of the world and that we can therefore treat, treat the world very differently. I mean, this is, invades all sorts of American political thought. But Mormons have the same view about themselves somewhat um, propagated by this doctrine. Because if we were there in the pre-existence and then we, we were selected to not only be in the last days, which is very special, but to be of the right race and the right lineage and the right family and to be born in Utah and to have the, the, the priesthood and to be able to go on a mission, 
Um, what's what's the, the folk doctrine that went around a lot, quite a bit, during Hinckley's time, when people would go up in heaven and say, I died in the Roman Colosseum. And another person said, you know, I was a starving child in Calcutta. And then you'll say, I lived in the era of President Hinckley, and a hush <gasps> will fall over the crowd. <laughs> because you were one of the big, temp- you had a hard life or something. I, I, I don't know what the implication is there. <laughs> yeah, you'll live in the last days. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, quick question. Uh, maybe taking it back a little bit to the pre-existence and uh, you know the patriarchal blessings. But my sister it has Down syndrome, and I remember learning about this growing up and and uh, being jealous that she didn't have this uh, challenge because you know the, the mentally disabled are sort of exempt. They're sort of living the the free pass uh, back to the celestial kingdom. And I'm just I don't know if you're going to get into that, but I've always you know being that that's right there in my family. I've always wondered. Um, you know, at what level of mental disability do you qualify? And, you know, maybe, maybe at some levels I do qualify. I don't know. But, uh, did, did, just out of curiosity, does she have a patriarchal blessing? Yeah, and we heard about, the, you know, I'd heard the stories from, you know, the, the folk stories that go around about, you talked about someone sitting in the council, and, and uh, there's the stories about, the, you know, being, you were one of, the, one of the ones that personally escorted some of the one-third out of heaven, and and I think my mom was maybe looking forward to it. I was actually there for it. I got mine at the same time. And uh, hers was about three sentences long. It was pretty much, you've been blessed with a good family. Uh, they love you. You have a loving spirit. You know, amen. And so it didn't really pan out for her to be uh, given too many secrets to the pre-mortal. But our, our patriarch didn't really get into those details. Sounds like a good anybody. patriarch. Yeah, well, th- th- this shows the explanatory power of this doctrine, and this this is this is a very. Po- I mean, I, I've been fairly lighthearted with this, but this is this is it's it's very useful because there are these elements in life that show up that are completely unfair. I, I think we really deride the teaching um, of the church that you know the black people were fence sitters or whatever in the in the in the pre-existence, but there is a sort of a dark-sided positive to that, to try to put meaning to the social injustice that, that happens in the world today. Um, it, you can find the same um, flavor of that teaching in a lot of Eastern religions um, in terms of karma and, and your birth status and the, the caste that you're born into. Well, this, the, because we live in an unjust society, the fact that you, you know, you're an untouchable in the streets has to be because of something before your birth. So this is not like an idea that, that you know, Joseph Smith just pulled out of the sky. Or, or maybe he did. But, um, but it's an idea that, that keeps coming up again and again. And the, the, the folk doctrine to which we were just uh, alluding there, which I'm sure you've all heard, um, is that, so that an individual goes in to get their patriarchal blessing and they're, they're um, you know, mentally challenged on some level. They have Down syndrome or something. And the, the, what the patriarch tells them is that this individual was part of the honor guard that escorted the, the um, hounds of hell out of heaven, the one-third host of heaven, and they are particularly upset. So because of that innocent status, and in, you know, in Mormon theology, those who are below eight can't be tempted, and they can't commit sin. So if you're mentally below the age of eight, and that's literally how the church defines it, if, if, you, if you have the mental capacity of an eight-year-old, you can be baptized. Um, so if you're mentally below eight, then you have that free pass into heaven. So you can't be tempted. So, so this individual in this, in this folk story in the patriarchal blessing was given that special status of being mentally handicapped to, to 
make them impervious to the attacks of the demons. Yeah, I would imagine same, that's quite comforting. Same would be the case. To think for about it that way. If you're, if you're a parent, if you're a parent yeah. Like, wow, and, this and difficulty children. and this struggle is, there's some meaning, there's some right. purpose and to all And they're super this. special. Yeah. There's was, a comment, right? I was just thinking that uh, Satan must have had an awful lot of people escorting him out. I, I, I'm guessing almost <laughs> everybody in this room has heard of somebody whose patriarchal blessings said, you personally escorted Satan out of... Yeah, right, but some, you know how many hosts, like how many of people escorting of him, like... Yeah, yeah. Well, it oftentimes does get, at least in the story I've heard, it gets very, you know, you're the one who escorted the Satan out, as yeah. opposed to just the 33.3 billion that yeah. we established. Go ahead. So, uh, um, being raised in the, in the church, you hear a bajillion times how awesome you were in the preexistence, you know, especially with the whole, you're the chosen generation stuff, and a lot of people my age are really sick of that, you know, honestly, because we hear it all the time, but, but... It's interesting that we're never, ever mediocre people in the pre-earth life, you know? I mean, they never say, <laughs> they never say like, you know what, you were, you were really loving and you were special. You know, they never, they never just say that. They're like, no, you were a general. You were a rock star in heaven. And, and, and that always was weird to me because I'm like, you know what, I, I bet I was one of these kind of half-awesome people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... Um, the next, uh, we're still talking about implications from the doctrine. There's, there's one that I, I want to bring up because our evangelical friends bring it up all the time. And I, I think they're trying to throw sand in people's eyes. And that's the, the doctrine that Jesus and, and Satan are brothers. Um, and, and they will use this to try to poison the well of Mormon, to try to look Mormonism look weirder than it already is. And you know what, I, I already, there's enough weird stuff that you don't have to invent weird stuff. Um, the, the problem, the, the reason I, I'm sort of against them saying this is it's really twisting the doctrine because what, what the doctrine is really that we are all these siblings. Like Jesus and Satan do not have a special brother relationship. You know, there's a lot of um, uh, religions that have in their, their mythology tw twin brothers or something where one's evil and one's good and that shows up all the time. And it seems like the evangelicals are trying to put that sort of mythology on Mormonism and I, I really don't think that's justified. Um, because in terms of intelligence, we're also co-equal with God. So they could take it one step back and say, the devil and, and Jesus are, are, are brothers with God. And, and in a sense, in Mormon doctrine, that would be true also. Well, isn't it the case that um, for a lot of Christian religions, that they believe that God didn't create the devil? But in Mormonism, God did create the devil. No, I, I, I'm not a Christian theologian, but I think they... If you, if you allow for the fact that God didn't create the devil, then you're allowing for a non-omnipotent God. So I think in, in all Christian theology that I know, God always has to create the devil, um, either inadvertently, the devil is a fallen angel, or specifically, that there would need to be balance. Go ahead. Um, I was thinking back on the disability, I came kind of late here, but what about the plasticity of our brain? And we can certainly cause ourselves disabilities by our free wills. Does that change our rank in anything in the pre-existence? It was foreordained that we would cause ourselves injury or we'd come down to injury. Are you talking about like pre-existent pot smokers or what? <laughs> <laughs> it could be anybody. Like you could be hurt on work, at work or something. Does that change your rank? Does that Wait, does that change you your spirit? Pass? Yeah. Does oh, and if, your if culpability, it, it as after? it were. Yeah, I, I've heard all sorts of things. I remember when I was a kid, there was, a, I think, a, a boy in our stake who was kind of a hellion, um, and then he wrecked his motorbike when he was like 16 or 17. 
Um, and, but after that, he was sort of in a wheelchair and went to church. And he, he, was, he was pretty well a vegetable, if I remember correctly. And I, I think that caused the theological conundrum you're talking about. Was he forever stuck with his sins from beforehand? Or, or was he, he did, I actually, if I remember right, this is, I'm pulling this from the recess of my brain. There was a, a good meaning sister who talked about that God caused the accent to happen to stop him in his um, devilish ways. That's, that's why I can't be a, a dualist anymore, it's a spirit realm, physical realm thinker. Just because in order for that to work out, you basically have a spirit that has all your real intent and your genuine uh, morality or whatever. But if the meat gets scrambled, uh, it's like the antenna isn't working anymore and you, you might choose dangerous things or harmful things and you wouldn't really be accountable for it. Whereas if, if you're just a monist where all there is is the meat, when it gets scrambled, people's behaviors and tendencies just morph because that's all there is your personality is your body I mean it's from your brain that's what you're saying instead of some other substance spirit living somewhere inside you because all you have is an injured brain results in a modified personality well and and this sort of runs into the the bigger problem here with with this doctrine which is we you know, according to the Pearl Great Prize, Abraham was one of the elect and one of the learned ones in the pre-existence, and that's why he became Abraham. Um, so we, it, it's sort of like we all went to school. We all went to middle school, and we're, there were some people who were really great students, some people were really mediocre students. And then we're about to go into high school, and they give everybody a pill that erases everything they ever learned. But they don't teach them anything else. They just give them a test. It it gets gets very weird. Let me give you a better analogy. You you, you start school when you're five. You don't don't know anything. And in this school, there's only one teacher who's teaching truth. And And it's like the basket weaving teacher. Everybody else is teaching wrong stuff, right? Not only, it's not just they're, they're, they're lying to you. The teachers are standing up there and they're lying to you. They're, they're saying, I'm teaching you calculus, but really there isn't even any such thing as calculus. And you don't need to even know calculus. But people are graduating, getting jobs as engineers, da 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 da. But it's this one basket weaving class that, that is really everything and the only thing that matters. But nobody in the school, except the basket weaving teacher, knows this secret. So the basket weaving teacher is walking around saying, You don't need to know calculus, you just need to know basket weaving. Um, but the basket weaving teacher itself, um, he can't make very good baskets. <laughs> They're always leaky and they fall apart. And they say, well, that's just because I'm not a perfect basket weaver. You know, I, these are, I was acting as a man when I made that basket. Uh, and then, then, then at the end, when you graduate, you get a hand of this test and it's all about basket weaving. I mean, everybody's got to be like, what? This doesn't make any sense, even if this is the way it's supposed to go. Who wants anything to do with that? And that's, that's to me, one of the conundrums of this, this whole thing. If it's, and, and, and frankly, not to be flip, that's what finally flipped it for me and made it comfortable for me to leave the church. Because I said, this thing is so screwed up that even if it's true, I don't want anything to do with it. Um, because because it just, it's just, you can't win, you know? Most people, I was going to write a short story one time. You go to heaven and they say, there was one true religion and it was on, um, you know, Madagascar from, from 3000 BC to 2000 BC. Now don't worry, it's going to be restored in about a thousand years and then they'll do this ceremony that'll get you all in. You'd be like, wow, that doesn't make any sense. I don't want anything to do with that. Uh, that's my problem with pre-existence. <laughs> 
All right. I like that was a rich analogy. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not good unless I mix about seven <laughs> metaphors in together at the same time. Okay, let's talk about some of the... Did you have something to say? I, no, I, I did have one thing I wanted to add. We were back on uh, Jesus and Satan being brothers uh, and the evangelicals wanting to put that forward. The church has actually been running away from that a little bit. Um, I, again, I've, I've got uh, equivalent paragraphs from Gospel Principles, uh, Chapter 2 from 1997, and then the, the phrasing of the same passage in 2009. 1997 reads, Every person who was ever born was our spirit brother or sister in heaven. The first spirit born to our heavenly parents was Jesus Christ, so he is literally our elder brother. The equivalent in 2009 says, Every person who was ever born on earth is our spirit brother or sister. They completely removed the idea of Jesus Christ being uh, a brother. They removed the idea of heavenly parents and just left it much, much simple, much, do you, much clearer. Do you have the heavenly mother change? Um, it, it's, it's a, oh, yeah, yeah, where is that? Um, oh, yeah, because there is the concept when we say heavenly parents that there's not just a God, but there's a couple or a man with many wives, maybe. But there are women gods, and they were the ones who bore the children. I guess we did mention the gestational. All right, so, so here it is. Uh, Gospel principles, again, from 1997. Uh, it, it doesn't say the word mother, but you'll hear parents and plurality. So, our heavenly parents provided us with a celestial home more glorious and beautiful than any place on earth. We were happy there, yet they knew we could not progress beyond a certain point unless we left them for a time. The current reading now is, our Heavenly Father knew we could not progress beyond a certain point unless we left Him for a time. Poof, she's gone. Ten years, 1997 to 2009. Yes, go ahead. I, uh, I, really, I really like to hear like, anything the church ever has about Heavenly Mother, because when I was a kid, I thought that was the most awesome doctrine ever, but they never talked about it. And so I think that uh, the church is really dropping the ball on that one. That could be a really cool doctrine. But anyway, um, you were talking about your high school analogy. And it made me think about the first lessons we received in the pre-earth life. And these first lessons were received kind of before the Grand Council, before the war. And, and what's the point? Because for however 100,000 millennia, we learned about the entire plan of salvation, right? So we, we made our choices and stuff. And we also learned about what this life is all about. We learned a lot of things. And then we forget it. You know, we, we forget it all. There's a veil. So I'd, that, always, point, that always kind of confused me a little bit. The point is to see if somehow our spirit, without knowing all that stuff, can still um, tune in to the light of Christ and, and master this physical form. We didn't have a physical form before to try out. So I guess that's the point. It was like uh, when you learn geology in seventh grade, and you're not really going to use it in your life for the next few years, right? You got all of high school where you don't really use geology, but maybe you'll be a geologist later after you, know, you graduate. So in your pre-earth life, you learn something. Well, you're not going to use it for the next little bit, but after you die, it might come in handy. Someone, an uh, LDS person once explained to me it was like the born identity. You're a trained assassin. You just don't know you are until you pick up the gun or the pen knife or something. Maybe it's something like that. All right. Do you have on my father? Um, yeah, so, so that, that brings us to, we have, we have clips. Sort of. If I can get it to work. Uh-oh. I can get it to work. Can you hear it? Can they hear it?
last one has Heavenly Mother. Oh, I didn't get to Heavenly Mother? In the heavens. <laughs> are parents single? No. A reference. Listen to the yes. w- listen to the women sc- scream out that last verse. Uh, it's I, still in the uh, hymn book. We, we, we as need to we need to because uh, first of all, everybody wake back up, and secondly, um, um, I can't understand a word they're saying. So, um, what, what 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 was that we just listened to? It was "Oh My Father." It was um, written by Brigham Young's wife, Eliza. Yeah, Snow, and yeah, and Joseph's too. <laughs> Um, that's pretty much the first time that the, the Heavenly Mother concept came up. And I guess, for some reason, Mormons don't feel comfortable talking about Heavenly Mother. And any time I would ask why in, um, in my classes at church, they would say, because she's so sacred that you, have, you, you can't mention her because God is very protective of her, basically. And he, he doesn't want her Just anybody one of to... Them. Anybody to say anything bad about her, so we just don't talk about her. Oh, see, I always thought the reason that we don't talk about her is because there was more than one. Like you're, you might not have the same heavenly mother that I did. <laughs> That's or, what I thought too. Um, like, well, we, it doesn't really make sense to talk about her. Yeah. There's lots of them. Right, right. So, so, oh, my father talks about us being spiritual children, and then in the end, there says, "Well, truth is reason. Ef- truth r- eternal, eternal tells me I've a mother there." Yeah. In my first primeval childhood was I nurtured by thy side. I I find it kind of a sad irony that the the only song that makes any reference to a heavenly mother is called, Oh My Father. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Kind of discouraging. Anybody want to put bets on how long it's going to last in the hymn book? Um, So, so... There we, we, we have, you know, the, the problems we see, and, and, and really, I, I know I've said this before, but I think it's worth, it's worth repeating. It is so sad, one of the central problems of women in the church is their eternal destiny is to disappear, right? You're, because we're, we're playing out in our mortal probation here the exaltation of our parents, right? And in the proclamation on the family, All human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Each is a beloved spirit, son or daughter of heavenly parents, and as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. Gender is an essential characteristic of individual pre-mortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose. Except for those people who were born intersex. Shh, shh, they don't exist. (laughs) All right, well, let's let's, um, go over quickly some of the um, the theological problems. I, I do think, and I mentioned this at the top of the hour, that I do think it solves some theological problems. And this is something that's happened over and over again, um, especially in the, in the Reformation, that was the problem of, of, well, the theodicy. Why is there evil? And then why are some people good and some people bad? And of course, Calvinism started down the path of you know, predestination and I mean, predeterminism, where, where God chooses who he is going to save, and there's really not much you can do about it. And what this does is, and, and at the time that Mormonism sprung up, this was still a hot topic. It's, it's sort of 
not doesn't have such theological legs anymore. But but this sort of solves that issue because voila, it's all from the, the, the pre-existence. So so you can have the Calvinist sort of predetermination which sort of explains why some people accept the gospel and others don't. It helps you explain why you spend two years tracting and nobody, so, so, nobody listens to you or they don't seem to understand it because there's something about their spirit that, that, that makes them resistant to it. Yeah, it's this endless refinement process where God just started with the intelligence, made some spirits, and it has to filter it out so he just winds up with the celestial beings and the rest is just sort of detritus, just left over, flotsam. But so you're allowed to have, it, it allows for predestination and agency at the same time. And what I wanted to kind of add along with that, how you were mentioning, you know, some of these ideas go along with uh, Eastern religion and karma, um, is that idea that it really relieves those of us that come from privilege of the guilt and the responsibility of helping those who don't, who don't have that, who were born um, under different circumstances. And I think that's really, you know, one of the big shames is this, oh, and tied in with it, um, I'm not, I didn't hear that you mentioned this idea of us choosing our challenges oh, yeah. um, and choosing, you know, our disabilities, choosing, you know, what's going to go on in life. Um, and so by that, if someone has this difficulty, well, they chose it, and it's their challenge <laughs> to manage on this earth. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, John, although we're going, you keep referring um, to those uh, born of the African race as being fence-sitters, and at least Mark uh, Peterson for sure would disagree with you, um, where I'm pretty sure it was him who mentioned quite a few times, they were definitely on the right side they were just less valiant. Ah, oh, thank and, you for the uh, correction. And then this idea you also haven't, we haven't mentioned yet, um, Nephi Peterson's added upon, and, which I think is just like huge as the predecessor of my turn on earth and Saturday's warrior. And I think some might argue, well, that is not doctrinal. That was, you know, fiction that was very popular. However, my mom in early 50s, um, small town, Utah, 100% LDS practically, um, and she was actually called on a stake mission. And she traveled from ward to ward presenting on Added Upon. So at least at that time, pre-correlation, you know, it was considered worthy of, uh, you know, having some doctrinal um, strength behind it. And of an official calling. Yes, that was her official calling. And we were all preordained for all of our, all of our callings. Have you ever been told that? Oh, every yeah. every yeah. calling you get called to, you were preordained for. Yeah, definitely. And then also you bring in, you know, our supposed doctrine, you know, of this crazy record keeping. You know, there's, so there's all the journaling. We are, you know, commanded to keep these crazy records and journals, which have kind of hurt the church in the long run. But she wrote, began journals for um, me and all of my siblings, where she wrote our pre-existent story, which is really kind of, uh, kind of fascinating as we each, is it my turn yet? 
<laughs> no, it's someone else's turn. <laughs> so right, we're waiting in line. That's a great segue to kind of the last area we want to cover, which is, uh, and I did mention, this is a very powerful idea in, in, in LDS culture. We want to go over some of those, those things. You, know, you mentioned Added Upon. We recorded a show, I think, last year where we cover Added Upon. But I was in Deseret Book a week and a half ago, and there was Added Upon still on the shelves. It is still in continuous print. It was a book written around the turn of the century. Um, that goes through, it, it tells a love story basically that starts in the pre-existence and then continues into the world and then ends in the post-life world. And, and of course we have the other two, there's three great pillars of pre-existence in Mormon pop culture, <laughs> which are Saturday's Warrior, My Turn on Earth, and I'm um, Added Upon. Uh, go ahead. Just real quick, I remember, I remember when that um, became popular that Saturday's Warrior was not doctrine. Like, I remember hearing about that and people talking about it, and, and that really surprised me. But um, one of the biggest problems was that it said the spirit world, you know, the post-mortal spirit world, when you die, where you go when you die, does not mix, absolutely does not mix, there's no doctrine to support that it mixes, with the pre-earth life. Um, which is confusing, because it, just, like, just like what we've all been talking about, the pre-earth life answers so many questions, gives us so many avenues to explore so many different reasons for things, but it really complicates the idea of, um, well, what happens to kids that are miscarried or stillborns? Um, what's the answer to that? Free pass. Well, I know with the, in the case of a stillborn child, I remember reading something, um, Joseph, I always get the F's, F and the fielding confused as to which one is which. But um, your heel caught it. <laughs> you got to watch out for those things. <laughs> um, specifically stating that stillborn children or miscarried children are not to be included on family records at all. That, that, ha that was the event that started my questioning. Is my, my then wife and I had a series of miscarriages and she wanted to believe that, that she would raise them in the afterlife. And I thought, well, that's not really the doctrine. He has to take a breath if he's gonna show up on the record. So I'm not really sure how that would work out. And she's like, well, that's, I just wanna believe that. And I'm like, well, that's not how belief works. What the doctrine says is, uh, 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 and then I started asking questions. <laughs> that one was really surprising to me here. You've got the, we're all about families, eternal families, every child that comes into um, our, our home, our family. Um, so basically, not really validating the experience of pregnancy until it's complete, and only then is it a member of your family. So where is that spirit? Did that, is that a pregnancy without a spirit? It doesn't make any no, sense. No, it doesn't make sense. And the more they try to explain, the more that they, and that's I think obviously why they're avoiding doctrine at this point is because they have no way to explain it in 10 years from now. That's an excellent point. I hadn't thought of that. Like abortion would, would be bad because the baby has a spirit, but. Does it? If it was just gonna die, does it? So does that. There's a mismatch there. Well, luckily there are people like Lex D'Alvedo who are happy to come in and clear up. It all fits together now. I lived before I came here. I am a son of God. I have a destiny, an eternal purpose. That's, um, that's, of course, the, a line from Saturday's Warrior, that he finds out that he existed before. For him, the, 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 the individual in the play was investigating the church, he was not a member. And then when he found out that he existed beforehand, which is of course the theme of the whole play, that makes everything He now come has together. a purpose. Kit, I, I wanted to comment on uh, something we've heard a couple of times, is the idea that, well, that's not doctrinal. 
that's, a, that's something that really gets under my craw, that really aggravates the crap out of me. Because this, this book, My Turn on Earth, this is what I was taught as a child. I was taught this as fact, as reality, as the literal truth of the universe. Not doctrinal. What, what is a five-year-old or a six-year-old supposed to know about accepting beliefs that aren't true if that's what he's told from everyone around him? That is the doctrine of the church as far as I could be told by bishops and primary teachers and loving parents and loving grandparents who meant well. Well, they told me this is how it is. And when people turn around and say, oh, well, that wasn't doctrinal. It's this sort of blame the victim BS that just <laughs> makes me live it. Well, Sh Sherry Dew is the CEO of Desert Book, and she is very close to the, to the brethren. Um, and they are, if you talk to anybody who works for Desert Book, they are very um, involved in everything that goes on there. I can give you stories of books where the entire run was pulled and scrapped to change um, two sentences. There was one by um, uh, Rex Lee, who is the president of BYU. I have both copies in my library where they pulled the entire, and they scrapped the, all the books, shredded them all except the one I have, um, um, to change one sentence um, it, where he sort of questions the, he sort of talks about individual morality instead of following the brethren. Um, if, the, if Desert Book is willing to put that sort of exertion on a book by somebody who's that high, you know, the president of BYU, they damn well know everything that's going on the shelves. And you can take this to the bank, everything that's a doctor in Desert Book is doctrine of the church because they would pull it if it, if it weren't. It, everything in Desert Book is 100% endorsed by the church because we see their action when they don't endorse things. We see how militant they are on that, on that front. So you can still go down and buy Saturday's Warrior at, um, at Desert Book, and it's still for sale there. Um, the we, classic sir? love song. I've seen that smile somewhere before. I've heard your voice before. It seems we've talked like this before. Sometime who can be certain? Not twice, please. <laughs> please, no. <laughs> Go ahead. So, John, um, I'm an artist, and I've done many paintings um, trying to literally portray this craziness. I'm sitting here thinking, I, I've been recently asked to, to do some paintings depicting our pre-mortal. Make sure they have the columns. Well, I'm looking at the same, you know, I've got it right here. I, I mean, this is it. How do you, is there any apologetic, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to literally wrap my mind around a scene, um, a romantic scene where you meet your wife in the pre-existence. How is that going to all play? Is this a landscape? Back to your notion of bodies. Are we eating in this pre-mortal existence? Are, are we looking and saying, wow, we've got these mouths and these teeth, and d is there any concept out there? I mean, in my growing up the same way, it's, it's Earth, you know, in, in kind of a fuzzy, hazy, with a lot of sheets, kind of. <laughs> right. Love it, you know? uh -huh. right. We, we had this dilemma early on, how to depict heaven. 
a premortal heaven. Um, literally, in some of the, the oh, I've got to be careful here, the media, um, in these depictions, we had everything from gardens. As an artist, I want to be out in the mountains. We ended up with this kind of uh, classical space shot Greek, you know, pillars, togas. But then that is crazy. What, clothing? So, so is there a celestial loom, kind of a polyester? What? Again, for me, I sit here, and I, it's wonderful to talk about all these, you know, symbolic, beautiful notions, but how are we going to depict this? And the idea that... Oh, I hate this. I hate this. The apologists are now blaming all our Mormon art on idiot artists that don't know what they're talking about. This, I heard Daniel Peterson the other day say, the reason we don't have Joseph with his head stuck in this hat and this preposterous, you know, or kind of silly, again, with all due respect, it could have probably... No, it's preposterous. It could be painted. Yeah, but it could be painted heroically. You know, I mean, with the light, right light, you can, you can show any craziness. as a beautiful thing. But now he's claiming that it's the idiot art. Our artists don't know what's going on. Back to your point. They micromanage down to what shoulder the robe is on. So, it's, again, help me out here. Throw me a, you know, these, these beautiful cartoons, they, they won't fly in an adult kind of Mormon. We want to see it. We want to see this concretely. And where do we go with this? Well, to your point, the church has painted itself into a corner. If you go into Deseret Book today, you know, Deseret Book, and, and the church over the last 30 years has aggressively put every, they put book craft out of business, and they put, I mean, Seagull, they bought up. They've, they've aggressively gone after the LDS book market, gotten rid of all the publishers, and, and every, there's just one. There, there's only one left. It's like the Highlander. Um, and, and if you go into Deseret Book today, which is the only LDS bookstore, right? There, there's really not any others. You'll be, first of all, you'll see the candle section, and then you'll see the section on the, the to sells the Lion House stuff, and then in the back you can buy, a, you can buy, um, you know, um, Sellers of Catan is sold there. Oh, and isn't there a bakery? There's a, there's a bakery. Um, Statuary? Only about half the store is devoted to books, and it's, it's shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, because the church can no longer make any stand whatsoever. And, and you're right, they're, they're, they're throwing individuals under the bus. When we were doing our pre-meeting on this, we talked about the Del Parsons painting, um, which is a, I don't know how much of this is true. Del's still around. I should just call him up and ask him. I, and I think he's written a book. So if, if I'm off track, any of you can correct me. But the legend went like this. Del Parsons did the big square-jawed, like, bodybuilding Jesus with the red robe that everybody, um, everybody has, where he's really Nordic-looking and looks like he's ready to kick some ass. That, and if you take his beard off and you cut his hair, he looks exactly like Joseph Smith, Well, that's because that Pars- Del Parsons yeah, painted as Joseph Smith, and it's and the basically the same, right. same model. Mm. But, but there was a... Del would go around and do these firesides when this came out, I think in the early 80s. Um, and he would talk about how he would submit the painting to the brethren. And you can talk to other LDS artists, and they'll tell you this is the way it works, as you're just hinting at. And they would say, no, 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 the jaw needs to be a little fuller. No, 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 the skin needs to be a little wider. No, 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 the eyes need to be a little bluer. And the implication was always because um, whoever it was at the time was saying, well, I was just talking to Jesus last Wednesday, and, and you know, he's trimmed his beard. So, uh, but, but, but then they finally arrived at, this, at, the, at, the, at that painting that if you've ever been to LDS church, you've, you've all seen. Um, but the, the story goes that, that Dale was at one of these firesides giving this painting and that a, um, that a, a, 
a young woman when he unveils a part of there's a unveiling they pull the pull the cover off and um, a young woman went running up to the picture and she says he's the one who held me and the story was that she was in a brutal car accident where her parents died and that that um, a man came along sat in the back seat with her until the ambulances came right and the, that it was this Jesus there I don't mean to make fun of her experience but the reason I bring this up because it is it is, points to the hypocrisy of the apologists, because these things, these, this artistry, Saturday's Warrior has such a powerful meme in the church. And like you're talking about, that book is, I remember in primary, being taught out of that book too. And then to just sort of poo-poo these things and say, that's just, Dell does not, he's not a member of the 70, you know, but they don't really discard the, they just, they just like to leave it in this ambiguous land, which is what they do with, with a lot of these doctrines, even though they're, you know, we've shown you they're, 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 they're right there. And, and like I've said before, you can find all these talks from the 19th to 20th century about blacks and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's there. It's not really distanceable. All right, let's find another. I, I did have one observation. He mentioned like spiritual babies and growing into the dirt. Like, do spiritual babies lose spiritual baby teeth? <laughs> right, you'd have to if you, if you were born as an infant human spirit and become an adult. How does that work? Do you poop your spiritual diapers? <laughs> spiritual diapers. Oh, no. All right, let's, let's go into another. Two of our older brothers were there. My she turn, says, Hunter. Satan. Satan was the first one to speak. He said, This is back to the war in heaven. I have a plan. It will save every man. I will force them to live righteously. They won't have to choose. Not what we will lose. And give all the glory to me. Give it to me. Obviously a black man. (laughs) (laughs) He's got the soul. Did you hear the the soul behind that? Yeah, I always like to sing that part better than the other part. My mom was like, why do you like to sing the Satan part? (laughs) We now know Because he sings cool. I lived in heaven a long time ago, it is true. That's in the current primary book, I yep. Lived in Heaven. So, you know, once again, these ideas are just, just ever-present. I'm going to put and one. And I am a child of God. He sent it, me here. Do we have that one? Yeah, it's on there. I don't see no? it. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play one out while, while we kind of close this thing up. Um, so... I said at the beginning, um, this doctrine is really essentially LDS. If you want to understand LDS theology, you really need to understand this, especially the way it's played out in the pews, um, because it it explains the position, which, which I have before called sort of the problem of the minority, which is, if this church is the true church, why is it so small? Why does it lack so much influence? Why is the world in the condition that it is? Well, this, this is sort of the, um, what, what was the, 
what was Einstein's um, constant that he put into his equations to explain that the universe was in a steady state, not growing? It's that sort of thing. It it it, al- it, al- it allows the it allows everything to work. It allows it to come together because you can you can throw so much garbage into it and just just equalize the whole thing out. So so it, it is a very important belief, and it's one that I wish that the the church would explore further. I've said before that the church should stop trying to turn itself into a Protestant religion and take some of its good stuff and push it forward. And I, I think this is one of them. Um, so this this song I'm playing here is called "The Test" by Janice Cat Perry, where it says, "Why, why, why are you blind? Um, why is there suffering? Why is it so hard?" So, the the world that we live in today is the paradigm comes all the time that it's it's a test, and that it's this is sort of wraps up everything we've been talking about. The problem with this doctrine is it saps meaning out of this world. If if you let's say have a lot of talents that you want to develop. But instead of doing that, let's say you want to go to graduate school or you want to start a business, whatever, you're called to teach in the primary. It doesn't matter because this world is just a test. It's just to prove to see if you'll be obedient, prove to see if you'll do what, what's there. And then we can use this doctrine of the veil to say, well, this is what you were supposed to do. You, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter that you're an artist. It doesn't matter that you're a musician. It doesn't matter that you want to go to grad school and study astrophysics. Because we can kind of manipulate, manipulate you to where we want you to be. Because that's part of this ordained plan. Remember, everybody was foreordained to everything. And there's a certain level of acceptance that, that I think comes along with this doctrine that can be very dangerous. It's the reason that Christians, you know, t- um, tolerated slavery for so long because you can say well that's just the way God wants it if God wanted to change it he would change it and and there's this this thing that apologists are saying right now that that the the doctrine of the blacks and the priest wasn't really a doctrine it was just because nobody asked um, now there I think Quentin Cook in the last conference said that it, the 1978 thing only came after a lot of um, trial and asking and supplication, which contradicts what the apologists have been saying. But if, if, we're, if we're taught to be obedient and accept, and we're also taught at the same time that folk doctrines can creep in but need to be asked of God, we, we, we've got a problem there, and that's where this, this thing can be particularly problematic. Yeah, you have apologists doing all the heavy lifting, and these uh, inspired men chosen of God to speak boldly say nothing about doctrine. They're just mute on it and let intellectuals that want to be part of the church kind of clean up the dirty work. All right, so I think we've, uh, we've explored the, the pre-existence. Um, and now they'll tell you that pre-existence doesn't refer to a place, it refers to a time, and it's everything before we were born and we don't know anything about it. That's sort of the official, the official stand of the church. All right, any last, uh, last words from our illustrious panel? No, thanks for the invite. Um, <laughs> any, any last words from, from the audience? Did, 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 I, did I bring you all down? You no longer. Uh, <laughs> I felt like I ended that one on a sad note. I got, I got a little, little yes, tear. Your lives off. aren't predetermined. Um, you have to make your own meaning now. Um, 
Well, um, we've, we've got, so since you're all in Utah, those of you who are listening at home can just um, pine to come back home to Zion. We've got a great summer um, coming up here. We're going to have lots of picnics, and the, um, I think we said the weenie roast was full and the camping trip was full, so you need to get on top of getting to our events. We've rolled out the Mormon Expression community. If you go to mormonexpression.com, there's a link to the community page where people can post whatever they, whatever they want. If you like to bowl, pull up, post some bowling, you can find some other like-minded individuals. We don't have any sort of agenda or anything other than it's good for people to, to get together. So um, come, out to our, come out to our picnics, uh, meet some more people. And we, we have two contests right now. Oh yes, the two contests. We still have the t-shirt contest. We're trying to get our store rolled up. You can put any sort of image that you want on a t-shirt that has something vaguely to do with Mormon or Mormon expression. And if it doesn't... We just need a, a logo, artwork. Yeah. Submitted and that's what a hundred dollar winner will... Um, be awarded for the best one or the one that we pick. And that's due by May 1st. Due June 1st is the essay contest. I think that's a, a favorite every year of hearing those personal essays. You just record an essay about something dealing with Mormonism and you somehow, um, I think one it, year somebody did a song. It doesn't have to be about you. This has to be about Mormonism. And it doesn't even have to be about Mormonism, really. It can be anything that's worth listening to. And then um, submit it to us, and then uh, we'll, we'll put those out. And there's two $100 prizes, and both of them are generously funded by other people. They've called us and said, I want to pay for that one, I want to pay for this one. And one is for the Mormon expression choice, and one is for the audience choice. So we'll give you all a chance to vote for your favorite, and we will award them their $100. And you said June 1st. June 1st is the deadline for um, that one. All right, well, the discussion continues on the website at mormonexpression.com. Um, as Heather said, this is a product of the Whitefield Educational Foundation, which is a 501c3 organization, completely tax deductible. As a matter of fact, you can write off your mileage to and from this, this event. All right, well, thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.